Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. The message is entitled, Being Grateful to the Father. Paul, having pronounced his uh, salutation and greeting to the saints at Ephesus, now moves on to the body of the letter. The first division, remember, deals with the wealth of the believer by the love of God, chapter 1, 2, and 3. So Paul begins to share about the wealth of the believer in view of salvation from verse 3 to 14. This is one continuous sentence, the longest one in the New Testament, 255 words in the New King James Version, 202 words in the Greek. One complete sentence. (laughs) This outpouring of admiration and thanksgiving to the Father is like a torrent of unending water that cascades over a waterfall. The greatest doxology that we have in the New Testament. All three persons of the Trinity are involved in the process of salvation. In verse 3 through 6, we have the Father. 7 to 12, you have the Son. 13 to 14, you have the Holy Spirit. Each one ending with the understanding that salvation is to the praise and the glory of God alone. Verse 6, verse 12, verse 14. So what we want to do for our study is look at the expressed gratitude of Paul to the Father for the benefits and salvation in view of three things that are given to us here in verse 3. Let me read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. So the gratitude of Paul to the Father for the benefit and salvation is marked by first the source of salvation, the first part of three, the source. Second, we have the sufficiency of salvation. And then we finish up with the sphere of salvation. The source of salvation comes first. Listen to his words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul declared that God is the source of salvation. The reference to God indicates a title, not a name. The word God in the Greek, as you know, is theos, indicating the one true And only God. The word appears 1,183 times in the New Testament. Indicating the creator of everything. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent, all-present at the same time. Now, the word for God in the Hebrew, the Old Testament... Is the word Elohim, which also indicates the one true and only God. And that word appears 2,670 times in the Old Testament, referring also to the creator of everything. Uh, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 1. By the way, it's a triunity, a Hebrew word ending in I am, 
is more than two. El is one, El is two, Elohim is compound unity, three or more. So in the very first verse of Genesis, you have the introduction of the Trinity. Three persons, as we'll see, one God. He equally there in the Old Testament is all-potent, all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent. Everywhere at the same time. Now, notice the term in our context refers to the first person of the Trinity, the Father. The Father is the source or origin of salvation. The Son is the channel of salvation. And the Holy Spirit is the agent for salvation. The source, the channel, and the agent. Three persons, yet one God, one Lord, one Spirit, one Savior. Yet the Father and Son are co-equal by the titles of God and Lord in the Old as well as the New Testament. The priority of the Father, notice, is evident by the fact that He is always mentioned first. The present text bears witness to His initiative regarding salvation and priority. And In chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 5 and 6, Paul tells us, God, the Father, placed all things under his, his, Christ's feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Father is priority. He comes first. The baptismal formula, if you know, shows the Father Mentioned first in Matthew 28, 19. Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Says, there is but one God. The Father, from whom are all things. And we exist for Him. One Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. And we exist through Him. The Father comes first again. Always the Father comes first. Now notice the Apostle Paul here stated that the first person of the Trinity, the Father, is both the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father is the God of Jesus from his human nature. Since the incarnation. The one Greek article ties both God and Father together. Jesus was God. And he took on flesh at the incarnation. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and God was the word. John 1.1 1, 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. As the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. At that point, the Father became his God. Through the incarnation. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Matthew one twenty three tells us. Jesus limited himself for a set time. And became the Lamb of God. John one twenty nine, Philippians 2, 5-11. He emptied himself of his glory. Of his glory. Not his deity. And he took on the form of a servant. Jesus came as the last Adam, just like the first Adam, to make reconciliation from the fall. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, 
first Adam was a living soul. The last Adam, a quickening or regenerating spirit. Jesus became a vicarious sacrifice as our substitute dying on the cross in our place and instead of us as sinners. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore the wrath of God for the sins of the world. Psalm 22, 1 through 4, he cries out in the gospel, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? A few verses down in Psalm 22, because you are holy. Jesus became literal sin for that time. In a way that we don't understand, he was separated from the Father for the first time. You get a little glimpse why Paul is admiring the Father so much. As we'll look and we'll see. Because it cost him so much. The Father is the Father of Jesus. Also, from his divine nature. This is from all eternity. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is co-equal with the Father. He was with God, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning. Jesus was God. You should call his name Emmanuel. God is with us in fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures. Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6-7, a son to us is given. Matthew 1.23, Emmanuel, God with us. That's his name. People often ask, where did Jesus say he's God? Are you kidding me? Not only did he say it, but it's recorded all over. So if you're going to put Jesus, don't put him along with Buddha, Allah, or anybody else. He's unique. He's God. The others are not. Jesus is the Father's Son, the love gift given. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting uh, life. John 3.16 That love gift. Jesus is the mediator for both Jew and Gentile. And we have access by one spirit to the Father. Ephesians 2.18 will tell us. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, the Father comes first. Now, this truth of God the Father being both God and Father of Jesus Christ is found in other scriptures. It's not just there. Let me give you two. 2 Corinthians 1.3. Paul tells the Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Peter also expresses this gratitude in 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, Jesus is related to the Father from his Godhead from all eternity and from the incarnation at a set point in time. Now, 
Notice the father stands in the place of priority by the fact that he is always mentioned first then. Again, the baptismal formula reveals this. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. 2 Corinthians 11.31 Here in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 17, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.23 says, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So the way to the Father is through the Son, but it's the Father that provided the Son. So He always comes in priority. Now, notice the Apostle Paul here expresses deep appreciation of the Father then. The word... Blessed is an adjective and it means to speak well of. We get our word eulogy from it. When a person is eulogized, it's usually at a funeral. They speak well of that person. They point out and recall all their good qualities, their good deeds, their kindness. The problem is that at funerals, it's probably the place where more lies are told than any place else. Because nobody's going to come up and say, the guy was a dog. There are some occasions, but it's rare. Paul will tell us the reason why he is speaking well of the Father, and he's so appreciative of him. It was... For the every spiritual blessing that the Father has blessed us with, and we'll see this in our next point. And then those that are going to follow as we study them from verse 4 to 14. The whole section is one, but we got to eat it like an elephant, one bite at a time. <laughs> the expressed gratitude that Paul articulated speaking with such honor and esteem of the Father, has to imply his great sacrifice for sinners. We don't touch that very much in the church. We don't focus on what it costs the Father. And yet every one of us, if we are fathers, Understand the pain that it would come upon us if we had to sacrifice our son for the sake of others. Say you driving on the way home and you're in a car and there's a crash and two vehicles collide and one is on fire. So you get out and you tell your son, stay in the car. And as you go over to rescue that one person that is in the burning car, 
you realize that another car hits your car where your son is and it begins on fire. And your son is looking right at you. And you've got to make a decision who you're going to save because in the car that you're approaching, there's a mother, a father, a baby, and three children. If you would choose the family, you would experience a bit of the heartache that the father experienced of the loss of his own son. A great sacrifice, a great cost. The father gave his son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice for us, our sacrifice. The father poured out his wrath on his own son in our place. The father was separated from his son for a set time, for the only time, as he became sin for us. The father provided salvation by grace through faith in and by his son, unmerited, but it cost him his son. Kind of a different perspective uh, <laughs> that we don't think about often. The Westminster Confession of Faith in 1647 declares, quote, In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Ghost eternally preceding from the Father and the Son. They're intricately tied together, each in their priority for the process of salvation. When we speak about the unity of God, we are um, referring to the oneness of the three persons of the Godhead. Yet, being one God, which is distinct and opposed to the following. Polytheism, which is the belief in a multiplicity of gods. Pantheism, which is the belief that everything is God. Tritheism, which is the belief of three gods. Dualism, which is the belief in two gods. And one God, which is the belief in having no trinity at all. That would be the Jehovah Witness. <laughs> no trinity. Matthew 3, 16 and 17 says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father is in heaven. The Holy Spirit is descending. And the Son is in the water. The first person in heaven, the second in the water, the third person of the Godhead descending. One God. No one can understand the Trinity to its full end. 
the three persons of the Godhead are involved in the plan of salvation, get one God, one Lord, one Spirit, and one Savior, as Paul will clearly instruct us in this epistle. Again, the Father is the source, the Son is the channel, the Holy Spirit the agent. Listen to 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Paul says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Closing doxology. All three. Peter put it this way. In Acts 2, 36 and 39, when he preached on the day of Pentecost. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. All three persons are involved. The gratitude of Paul to the Father was for being the source of salvation. He's just worshiping him. That's how he opens up this epistle. Secondly, it's for the sufficiency of salvation. The second part of three. The Apostle Paul revealed that the Father by salvation had also imparted the necessary things to live out salvation. Listen to his words. Who has blessed us. The gift of salvation is only the start of a new life, as you know, in fellowship with God. The pronoun who once again refers to the Father. The Ephesians had heard the gospel of grace, revealing their sinful rebellion against God and had repented. The Ephesians had been regenerated, believing by grace through faith. On Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It wasn't something they deserved. It wasn't something they were for. They just believed who Jesus was and who they were. And they called upon his name. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. They now had to live in this fallen world as new creatures. Christ-like don't call yourself a Christian anymore. We're sort of deadened to that term. Don't ask people if they're Christians anymore. Ask them, are you Christ-like? They'll go. They'll think twice before they say yes. You say, are you Christian? Oh, yeah, man. I'm, yeah. Ask them. Hey, are you Christ-like? What? Because that's really what you're asking. The ongoing process of salvation is said to be in doubt at salvation. Notice, the Father is blessed, which means to bestow, to provide. This time, the word is a verb. Participle eras active. The Greek scholars tell us it took place and received by them in the past when they were born again. Literally, having blessed summing up all the blessings in one act. 
The Father is the force and the focus of this verse. And the following ones in verse 4, 5, 8, 9, 10, and 11. It's the Father. He's the focus. The pronoun us refers to the believers. The saints at Ephesus in verse 1 call saints. Those faithful or believing in Christ Jesus, verse 1 also. Then notice the Apostle Paul described what the Father had blessed them with at salvation. With every spiritual blessing. The nature of the endowment is related to their salvation. Spiritual is the word. It refers to its related origin and control by the Holy Spirit. Pneumaticos. Pneuma. Spirit. Or breath, depending on the context. Ikos. Anytime a Greek word ends in ikos, it means controlled by whatever is the prefix. Pneuma. Spirit. Those that are controlled by the Spirit. The third person of the Trinity is mentioned in verse 13 of chapter 1, 218, 222, 35, 316, 43, 44, 430, 59, 518, 617, 618. He's all over. The reference to spiritual is not merely in opposition to physical blessing then, but attributed to the Holy Spirit and its nature. All three are God. Their new life had made their spirits alive, quickened, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The endowment has proceeded from the grace of God. Notice the measure of the endowment is clear. Every blessing, all that is needed. The word every means each, every, any, all, everything. Nothing is lacking when salvation is imparted to a believer. God does not impart different qualities of salvation to people. A Christian can never say, I cannot. All he can say is, I will not. I will not. When we're sinners without Christ, we can say, I cannot. <laughs> but we can equally say, I will not. <laughs> As Christians, all we can say is, I will not. That's disobedience and rebellion. That's not trusting Him, not depending on Him. And that's not making use of the resources that have been imparted to me. The word blessing means benefit. And it's in the singular. Summing up all blessings as a singular blessing. It's all there. Nothing's missing. The word is a noun this time. Three times the same root word has been mentioned in this verse. As an adjective, a verb, and a noun. 
The gratitude of Paul is for the bountiful and lavish outpouring by the Father of spiritual enablement. To experience salvation to the fullest, to enjoy fellowship with God and salvation. The particular blessings and doubt will be mentioned, as I said, from verse 4 to 14. It's much like when we go and we buy a swing set or something we have to put together. We're all familiar with that. Everything is in the box. If we get it home, we tear it open, we pour it all out, start separating it. If we just put it in a pile and we don't take inventory, And the first thing we throw away is the instructions. Then um, we're not going to get the full benefit of what was in the box. (laughs) The same with our salvation. He tells me everything's there. I have to appropriate it. I have to ask God wisdom. I have to go to Him. I have to depend upon Him. And this comes by growth. Through reading, through study. Through growth, development, maturity. Through serving. God has given to us a new nature to be able to live a life of godliness. Listen to Second Peter chapter 1, 3-4. And as the divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This divine nature has allowed us to escape the corruption of the world that we used to be in bondage to. It doesn't mean that we have no capacity to sin any longer. It means that we, are no, we don't have to sin and give in any longer. As he says, he's given us all things pertaining to life, to the last day of my life, and the quality, godliness. Whoa. I lack nothing except the will. God has given to us a new mind to think with about godly things, the things of God, the right things. Ephesians um, chapter 4 will help us here, verse 21 and 24. It says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, speaking of Christ, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off. So all this stuff doesn't happen automatically. You you must be a participant. That you put off concerning your former conduct. He calls it the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness 
and holiness. So I have to reckon the old man dead and put on the new man. I have to deny the old mind and put on the new mind. I have to deny the outer man and yield to the inner man. I have to decrease and Jesus has to increase. That doesn't happen by accident. There is no cruise control in Christianity. It's a 16 speed. (laughs) With a heavy clutch. (laughs) God has given to us new priorities to live by in this world. Matthew 6, 30-34 says, Now if God has clothed the grass of the field, which is today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own self. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so the new priorities of life is the kingdom first. God's will be done. And then the rest falls into place. The Gentiles seek all these things. We used to live for those things. You go to work and you're in high school and you have a part-time job and all your paycheck would go into your car. You got to buy rims, you got to buy, when I was in the 60s, the black lights, the strobe lights and whatever, the 60s, the Prince Craigers and diamond button, metal flake and everything. Diamond button. So as you're driving down the street, people think you're cool. Yeah? Different priorities. The last priority of all my priorities is washing my car. That's why I get light-colored cars. (laughs) I'll wash them. But they're the last, everything else comes before that. We all have different priorities. Second <laughs> Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Therefore do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the thing I have to constantly remind myself and focus on. So that I'm not moved, pressured. We're affected to decide in a stupid manner by what I see or what I feel. 
I must make my decisions on what I know about God and the Word of God. God has given to us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live this new life. When we get to chapter 5, we'll deal more in depth, but 18 and 20 says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a present imperative. Keep on keeping on. Speaking to one another. This is the effects of it. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're filled with the Spirit of God, He's directing, guiding us. He's checking us. He's reproving us. He's directing. He's guiding. And and we are sensitive to His direction and guidance about our decisions with each other and with raising our children and our relationship between husband and wives and the things around the world and our government and our nation and our jobs and all these things. The gratitude of Paul to the Father was for the sufficiency of salvation. Notice thirdly, the sphere of salvation. He says, in the heavenly places in Christ. The Apostle Paul pinpoints the dominion or the domain of every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Literally is what it says in the New King James, heavenly. These blessings do not come or originate from the earth as we have noted. We certainly didn't have them prior to being Christians. They are from the Father in heaven. They are spiritual, not physical. The phrase in the heavenly refers to the spiritual realm of the unseen world, a spiritual reality. If God would open our eyes right now, you would see a host of angels in a battle going on between good and bad angels right now. They're in the midst of us all the time. The phrase heavenly is in the plural, literally, as I said, heavenlies. The heavenly means the sphere or dimension supreme over all the earth below in which the spiritual world is active and present. Notice the word places, it's in italics, to indicate that when you read that, that you know that it's not in the original Greek. So the King James and the New King James is an honest translation of the original text. When something is in italics, it tells you that's not in the original Greek. We've inserted it with the intent to fill the thought that may complete it and help you understand better because of the difficulty of translating English, the Greek to the English. But at least they're honest in their insertion to let you know that they have inserted it in. Okay? Now Satan... Is said to be the prince of the power of the air, the lower regions of the atmosphere, deceiving sinners, as we'll see in chapter 2, verse 2. 
So there's not only the realm of God's uh, angels, but also satanic. But of course, Jesus has destroyed the power of Satan. He's defeated him. Now the phrase in the heavenlies appears five times in this epistle. And it appears in no other letter of Paul. Only in this one. In our text here, in verse 3, it indicates the dominion or the rule of God to impart to the believer all that is necessary in the process of salvation. The second one is found in chapter 1, verse 20. It refers to the exceeding great power for the benefit of the believer Due to the fact that Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand in the heavenlies. The place of honor and authority and rule. The third time is chapter 2 verse 6. It refers to the believer being seated in the heavenlies with Christ by his grace alone. Not because we've done anything. <laughs> Just grace. The fourth time is chapter 3 verse 10. It refers to the church giving witness to the angels in the heavenlies about the manifold wisdom of God as he works through us, the church. <laughs> you know, angels don't know the future. Peter says they stoop down looking Amazed at the things that are going on. <laughs> Wanting to find out what's next. Hmm. The fifth and last time is chapter 6 verse 12. It refers to the spiritual warfare. That is constantly going on in the heavenlies. You're familiar with that verse. 6.12 says. That. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers and darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places or the heavenlies. All of these ranks are angelic ranks on the dark side. The Decepticons. <laughs> now. The Apostle Paul also pinpoints the designated person that gives the believer access to every spiritual blessing. Two little words. In Christ. The phrase in Christ identifies their connected position by being born again. Our position in Christ. Not in ourselves. In Christ. Those who believe the gospel. Those who believe Jesus died and rose from the dead for their sins, making atonement for them. Those who repent from their sins, becoming new creatures, children, sons and daughters of God. Those who were formerly in Adam, dead in trespasses and sins, separated from God, are now in union with Jesus, in Christ, regenerated by the last Adam. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty five. 
those engaged to Christ. Ephesians 5.27 They are the bride of Christ. He's preparing her to present himself a bride without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Notice the phrase in Christ is a key phrase to the epistle. In Christ appears three times in this long sentence. Verse 3, 10, and 12. Four times if you include verse 1 that we've covered. In Christ appears 11 times in the entire epistle, the six chapters. There are 16 references to Jesus by name, title, pronouns, or various combinations in the first 15 verses of the letter, over 30 in the entire letter. In him, by him, of him, through him, Lord, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Lord, all those combinations. In Christ is a good title for Ephesians. <laughs> That's where you want to be. In fact, the proposition in, in the Greek en, appears 116 to 120 times in the letter. Six chapters. <laughs> in, in, in. You want to make sure you're not out. You're in. Okay? In Christ. So the wealth of the believer comes from the riches of Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 7. He says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. 18, 118. He says, and the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 2.7 That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 3.16 That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, through his spirit in the inner man. 519. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have now so learned Christ. What a contrast. 
Before we were poor, now we're wealthy. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me or what I've done or who I am before Christ, but what I am in Christ. Arrhenius, the second century church father, gave his in-depth analysis of why God was in Christ. Listen carefully. Quote, Irenaeus describes the work of Christ under various aspects. The premise is always the reality of the divinity and humanity of the Savior. Only upon this basis could he furnish certain deliverance and deliver the particular race of man. Christ, therefore, became man in order to recapitulate the whole human race in himself. He embraces in himself the entire human race and all of human life. When he became incarnate and was made man, he recapitulated in himself the long line of men, standing surety in compendium for our salvation, so that what we lost in Adam, our being in the image and likeness of God, this we might receive in Christ Jesus. Wow. <laughs> All by God's grace and love. Salvation is limited to Jesus Christ then. He's the only way, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the only name, Acts 4, 12. There's no other name given under heaven and earth where my men must be saved. He's the only mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the only propitiation, 1 John 2.2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not ours alone, but the whole world. The ultimate payment to satisfy the righteous wrath of God against sin. Salvation makes us citizens of heaven then. Listen to Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are longing for Christ to come for his church. These all died in faith, Hebrews eleven thirteen says, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In fact, God made it very vivid for me. He's given me a tent to live in. And the longer I live in it, the more it's decaying. It's a tent. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to roll it up. It's going to be put away. Salvation in Christ provides so many benefits. We have true meaningful fellowship with one another and with the Father and the Son. First John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says... 
and therefore our joy is full. We have been transformed and translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1.13 tells us. We have access to God's throne at any time to find help and grace in time of need. Hebrews 4.14-16. 4, any time. Two in the morning. When you're happy. When you're almost broken down. Whatever it is. We have the privilege of understanding the things of God by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And then he goes on to speak how the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit, but the spiritual man does. And he says, you have the mind of Christ. The problem is we don't put it on. (laughs) We have to put it on, Philippians 2, 5. We are able to be fruitful only if we abide in Christ, John 15, 4 and 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. We are looking for Jesus to come for us in the rapture and be with him forevermore, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. He will descend the shout with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain the second coming will come, be caught up with the Lord and be with him forevermore. Comfort one another with these words. Wow. The gratitude of Paul to the Father was for the sphere of Christ, for salvation. I mean, he, he doesn't even get started. He just, he, he kind of stuck here. He's just, <laughs> he's having a great time before he gets onto it. And so, we've looked at the express gratitude of Paul for the benefit of salvation. The gratitude of Paul to the Father was for being the source of salvation. The gratitude of Paul to the Father was for the sufficiency of salvation. And the gratitude of Paul to the Father was for the sphere of Christ in salvation. Neatly packaged. Watertight. <laughs> no way out. We need to thank the Father a little more often for the Son. <laughs> Father, thank you for your goodness and love. We thank you for this time and, Lord, for your word. Lord, you continue to teach us, Lord, as we grow through the years. Help us that our mind would not become dull, our heart would not become hard. And that we would always look to you and thank you for everything, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved to repent of your sins. You have heard the gospel tonight. How Jesus, who is God, became man and died for your sins and rose from the dead. And that if you believe what the Bible says and agree that you're a sinner, then that's the work of the Spirit in your heart, bringing conviction. But He will not make that decision for you. You must decide whether you want to be saved or not.
That's called repentance. If you see yourselves a sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and you believe He can forgive you and will forgive you, then this is your prayer to Him right now. Maybe you're over the internet. Right where you sit, you can say it, and He will save you right now through grace and faith. This is your prayer to Him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.